Luke chapter 16. We're, we're continuing on in Luke. Let me ask you something. Has it ever bothered you when you see someone that's like living like the devil, but it seems like they've got plenty of money? Maybe they have more money than you. I mean, they're, they're living in such a way where you know they're living in blatant sin. They're just, and, but it's like, wait a minute, how are they so, are they just, they got so much stuff in here. I'm just trying to get by, trying to put food on that. Have you ever, have you ever struggled with that? Maybe, um, uh, maybe not, but my guess is at some point you do. You just feel like it doesn't add up. Maybe we say it's not fair, you know, there's an, uh, there's an old country song, uh, gospel song. I don't know what you want to say it, but I think a couple years ago, the country singer Brad Paisley, he, he sang this, the, the old hymn, Farther Along. And as I was preparing for this message, I heard someone use it. I thought, let me just, let me just share the first verse and chorus. Tempted and tried, uh, we're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. While there are others living about us, never molested, Though in the wrong. They're never molested. They, they don't have any issues, it seems like. But they're living in the wrong. And then, of course, farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. Why does that bother some of us so much? Because for some of us, we have a real fair thing. It's just not fair. Well, what if I told you this? There will be a day when fair will be attained. When all the decisions we make in this lifetime will play out in our eternity. And that's exactly what we see today in our text. Are you to Luke chapter 16 yet? Follow along with me. Luke chapter 16. Let's just jump in and run through this. Guy called, uh, uh, there's this rich man and there's this uh, poor dude named Lazarus. Let's talk about it. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Okay. When we study scripture, we ask questions, right? Who, what, when, where, why? Let's get some context for this passage. Okay, so the first character, who? There's a rich dude. He's got fine linen, a purple. This means he's got a lot of money. This is a parable. This is one of the last parables Jesus will share in this passage, in this area that we've been studying. Um, and and it's, uh, uh, we, we see there's kind of a pattern here. If you even go back to verse uh, 13, no servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's a pattern here. So once again, Jesus is talking once again about a guy who has, what, a lot of money, and, and so, so he's telling this story, though, to who? Let's remember. Jesus is telling the story, introducing us to the rich guy, but he's talking to the Pharisees. Now, these were the religious elites. These were the people who, who felt like they had it all. They were, they were the, the cream of the crop, and they were very learned. And, and we've talked a lot about the Pharisees already. But So Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees. So everyone, just pretend right now that you're a Pharisee. Turn to your neighbor, say you're a Pharisee. Go ahead, go ahead, okay. You're a Pharisee. Just for a second, not, not in real life, okay? Just because we'll have to cast some demons out of you. But, um, so Pharisees, the Pharisees. So as a Pharisee, what do you think when Jesus introduces the rich guy? You think, oh. Ah, it's one of my bros. You know, this guy, yeah, he's rich. He must be blessed by God. He's rich. He has money. There must be a blessing on his life. God has blessed this 
Man, that's the way they would see this. On the other side, if you were poor, they would see you as God must have cursed you. There must be something wrong with you. Okay, so we get that. Now let's keep going to verse 20. Look at it, look at it. As his, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So at his gate, at this rich guy's gate, there was a, a beggar and he was laid there. So his friends or somebody must have carried him along and said, here you go. And the, the, the thought is, is maybe this happened on a regular basis. He was laid there. Of course, he was begging. He was at this guy's gate to beg, covered with sores. Ooh, we know he was sick. Let me just tell you about what, what we can g- gather from this guy. This guy basically had oozing lesions all over his body. We would say he's kind of, it's kind of gross, filthy, dirty, unkempt, with oozing sores all over his wretched form. The dogs would even come and lick these sores. And the reference wasn't to, oh, you cute little fella, little Fido, come here. I got some oozing sores. Would you give it a lick? No, 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 no. It was, it was like wild dog type feeling, the feeling that we're just running around going for any scraps, whatever. And then, oh, they'd come up and start licking him. It's like, it just, Ey. But let's not, let's, let's make sure we're very clear on this. There's nowhere in scripture where it says a cat did anything like that, so. We all know what's better, cats or dogs. <clears throat> but that, that's what we get. And though Lazarus would have eaten what, what might have fallen off the rich man's table, or, or if they would have thrown crumbs on the ground, Lazarus would have eaten that, but it doesn't say he did. But that's, that's the state that we see this guy in. I want you to notice something that's unique about this parable. Everyone, listen. What's unique about this parable? Can you put your brain in action here? I know it might be a little muggy, a little warm in here, but can you think here? What's unique about this parable? Think back to every parable of Jesus where he's telling a story. Did he ever give any of the characters a name? Huh. Even, I mean, you go to some of the most famous parables, but so why did he give this one a name? Well, some would say, well, that makes them think that this was a real story, that this really happened. It wasn't a parable. It was a... I've studied it all week. I've looked at many commentators, and, and I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I don't think it was a real story. And the reason why, somewhat, is just the context. It's in a passage of a bunch of parables, stories Jesus is trying to teach others. Now, we, we can debate that, but I do think it's interesting. So why did he name him Lazarus? Well, I, I believe this. Follow me here. I think it's because of what the name Lazarus means. The beggar named Lazarus means this, the one God helps. Okay, was it by chance that this was the one? Was Jesus trying to say something more when he used the name Lazarus? Remember, what are you? You're a Pharisee. Think about it from a Pharisee perspective. Here's the rich guy. The rich guy's got this, he's got a gated house. I mean, this guy's got a lot of money. Pharisees are like, this is my man. I, I want to be like him. He must be blessed by God. And then what happens? Jesus introduces the next character, this guy named Lazarus. Well, wait, he's a poor guy. He's a poor beggar. Okay, well, he must be cursed by God. Wait, and you're a Pharisee. You'd be like, no, wait, 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 wait. What was his name again? His name was Lazarus, the one God helps. That, it would be at that point that the Pharisees would start like, wait a minute, something. God doesn't help 
poor people. They're poor, so obviously God's cursed them. It, was, it would be at that point that the, the, the angst would begin to rise up in the pharisaical heart saying, wait a minute, I'm not sure I'm following this. Jesus, the greatest storyteller ever, is developing this. Let's keep going, but let's be clear. The perspectives at this point, the contrast between the two men couldn't be more clear. From a purely earthly perspective, the rich man was the clear winner, and now Jesus was going to provide um, a heavenly perspective. Look at verse 22. Uh, turn the page. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. In the thinking of the Pharisees, follow me here, there was, it was an open and shut deal. That poor man goes to hell, the rich man goes to heaven. But now we see the shock when it was actually the other way around. In fact, the beggar, the poor man, what does it say? He was, they carried, the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now I think we need to be careful when we see these stories um, just because, uh, does this happen every time? So every time a believer dies, um, does that mean that angels show up and say, hey, we're here to get the body, the soul? I, I don't know. But I do think it's very likely that every time someone who's a believer passes on, they're ushered into heaven, their soul is taken. The angels, just get that picture. That's, I mean, the, the respect shown to those that have died that are believers do you remember what seats the Pharisees liked to have at the meals? This was like a month or two ago. We talked about how when the Pharisees would go to a, a dinner party and they'd have like a U-shaped table, the most important person would sit here, and then the Pharisees would try to get the most important seats beside the most important people. The farther out on the table you got at this time, the less important you were. And so um, uh, who's, who's it say that the beggar the guy with lesions and sores, who's he hanging out with? Abraham. He's at Abraham's side. When the poor man died, the angels took him to Abraham's side or to his bosom. This is just another way of saying for heaven. It's hard for us to kind of completely understand because of the Jewish culture. But when the rich man died, he suffered torment. He went to Hades. He went to hell. Now listen, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. I realize many people don't believe in an afterlife. They argue that those who die simply cease to exist. But Scripture, if we're going to be people who are devoted to the apostles' doctrine, to the teaching of the Word of God, Scripture teaches there definitely is an afterlife. Scripture claims otherwise. The two men had different destinations. The poor man went up, the rich man went down, but both continued to exist. Some Christians prefer to believe that the unrighteous experience annihilation after death rather than conscious eternal punishment. But here we see Jesus disagrees. The rich man was not annihilated. Not only did he undergo torment, but we could see, he could see Lazarus in comfort a long way off. He could speak to Abraham of his agony and cry out for mercy. I want you to notice something. In this parable, let's just, just food for thought. In this parable, with that, with that dude hanging out in hell, in hell, his faculties are incomplete. He's able to speak. He feels it. It, you think, well, a person goes to hell and they just kind of just disintegrate. No. Hell is a place of eternal torment. Heaven is a place 
at Abraham's side, at the Lord's side, with Jesus, with all those believers that have gone on before us, and even beyond that, uh, the new heavens, the new earth that we'll get to experience. I don't have time to go into that, but I, I want you to get that. Hell, in the word here translated Hades means literally a dark, obscure place. The place where departed spirits go, but especially a place where wicked spirits go. Some quick thoughts on hell. I know you're wondering. Let me just toss them out to you real quick. First, it's far from the abode of the righteous. Lazarus was seen afar off. Second, it's a place of torment. The word torment means pain or anguish, particularly the pain inflicted by the ancients in order to induce men to, take, uh, to make uh, uh, um, confession of their crime. So can you imagine with me in modern day, there's discussion about whether we should waterboard people. You know what that means, waterboarding? And, and, and so can you imagine hell being a place where you'd be constantly be waterboarded, constantly where you would be tormented? That's what the Bible says hell is going to be. It's going to be a place of great torment. There's, there's a gulf. Third thing, there's a gulf fixed between uh, hell and heaven. Fourth thing, the suffering is great. Fifth thing, there'll be no escape from it. There's no getting away from it. There's no second opportunity. When we die, immediately, if you're a believer, we go to be with the Lord. That's what Scripture says. And the opposite is true as well. Let's keep going. Verse 24. So he called to him. Great message to come back on, isn't it? Boy, this is encouraging today. Uh, Verse 24. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send, I don't know, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water. Come cool my tongue, Lazarus, because I'm in agony in this fire. Ooh, I could preach a whole message off this one verse. Just look at it. First, note, he says, Father Abraham. What's that mean? This rich guy was a Jew. Abraham was the start of all the Jews, of course. So, so, um, so I, I think it's just even a respect thing. It's interesting Jesus built that in, but it reflects that the Pharisee who thought they were right with God simply because of their ancestry. And not so. This Pharisee wasn't right with God just because he was a Jew any more than you're right with God just because your parents were Christians. You have to deal with it yourself. You have to talk with Jesus. You have to have a relationship with Christ individually yourself. Second thing, note he knows Lazarus' name. I mean, there's, there's a part of me that wants to say, what a jerk. I mean, can I say that? I mean, he knows Lazarus' name. I think the opportunity he had to help Lazarus when they were alive, according to the story. I mean, but did he ever reach out and do anything? I think, but boy, now that he needs something, have you ever known someone like that? Maybe they ignored you all the time, but then when they needed something from you, oh, hey, good buddy, how are you? You know, I was wondering if you could help me out on this. Uh, you've never talked to me in like months, and now you're going to talk to me? Yeah, well, I need something. I want to... Uh, you ran over my dog and never said sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, but still, I just was like, uh, I mean, you ever, you ever meet someone like that? You just want to say, why are you talking to me now? It's because you need something. That's the feeling you get from the story. Lazarus is like, I'm just, I'm, I'm tormented in this flame. I need something. Third thing I'll throw out to you is, note he's still giving orders from hell. No, he still is like, you lesser than me, Lazarus. Come, dip your finger in the water. Come on, boy. I mean, it just tells you something about this, this person, which, which, which really is to say this. Hell doesn't fix people. Hell is, is a place of eternal torment. 
There's no repentance there. There's no remorse. There's no seeking forgiveness. There's no humility. It doesn't fix you. It confirms you. It crystallizes into permanency the wretchedness of the sinner without relief or a break forever. Let's keep going. Verse 25. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. In response to this rich man's plea for mercy, Abraham gave him two answers. First, the man was receiving the the just consequences of the life that he lived. While they lived, the rich man received the good things and Lazarus received the bad things, yet the rich man neither acknowledged God nor sought to care for his neighbor Lazarus with the wealth God had given him. Therefore, while Lazarus was comforted, the rich man was justly punished with his agony. Second, Abraham told him that the reversal was permanent. There's a chasm here. Lazarus can't come and help you. Look at verse 27. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus. You know, I skipped over something. Look at verse 25 real quick. Jesus threw this in there in the parable. I think it's in there. But Abraham replied, son, Son. I just think it's interesting that Jesus would, would even say that. Um, I don't have time to go into it, but verse 27. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus. Send Lazarus to, to my father's house. For I have brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Let me stop there. You know, I guess you could say if this guy had any redeeming value, it was that he cared for his brothers, right? He's like, someone, go tell my brothers. They're, they're, they're a lot like me. And so someone's got to go back and, and has got to let them know that this is what their future it, it holds if they don't change. My, my, and, and in essence, he's saying, look, my brothers don't have enough information about hell. That's the problem. They don't have enough information about hell. If I knew what I know now, I wouldn't have come here. So could you please send Lazarus? Send Lazarus. They already know who he is. He used to sit outside the gate. He, they saw him. They know who Lazarus is. If you just send Lazarus back and he'd explain to my brothers, you don't want to go to hell, you want to go to heaven, this is what you got to do, then everything would be good. There's no words of repentance here. No Holy Spirit. But Jesus creates a fictional concern to get to the point of the whole story. Why do people go to hell? Why? Why would a loving God ever send anyone to hell? Why would his brothers go to hell? Look at verse 29. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. We learned, I think it was last week, Abraham, uh, excuse me, Moses and the prophets, pretty much, they have the Old Testament. They have the Old Testament. They They have scripture which clearly points to God's redeeming nature. And clearly points, you've got to put your faith in God. Points to a Messiah that's coming. They have that, just like you did, Lazarus. You know what their problem was? They didn't listen to what? Scripture. 
They didn't listen to Scripture. They didn't listen to the Word of God. This is exactly what they would not do. Jesus said that again and again in Matthew 13, 13, verse 17. You hear, but you do not understand, he says. You hear it. The, 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 The Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament is being taught. You've even memorized much of it. You hear it, but you don't understand it. They should have understood that they had to repent and believe. They should have understood the need for total abandonment, forsaking all other hopes, all other rights, all other gods, all my desires. I yield to an almighty God. They should have understood that from all of the Old Testament, but they didn't. And if they do not hear Scripture, there's no hope because we know this salvation comes by hearing the Word of God, right? Is that not what Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says? Look at it on the screen. So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ, the word of God. Keep going. No other father. Uh, verse 30. No father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. Verse 31. He said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. He's pushing back. He's like, Father Abraham, you're wrong. They don't have what they need. Scripture's not enough. Scripture's not enough. They have Moses and the prophets. I had Moses and the prophets, and here I am in hell. The Pharisee had Moses and the prophets. And that was the point of telling the story right there. But if someone will rise from the dead, a powerful sign, which again indicates that in the minds of the people listening to this story, remember, he's telling this to the Pharisees. The brothers also knew Lazarus. And, and, and if Lazarus, whom they knew, the wretched beggar, comes back, he was convinced that, that all of them will, will, will listen and Lazarus can warn them and certainly they'll avoid hell. And what Jesus is saying If Lazarus comes back, listen, they've already had Moses. They've already had the prophets. They've had this teaching, and they haven't listened. That's the problem. Well, the problem is you can't avoid hell just by not wanting to go there. Let me say that again. The problem is you can't avoid hell by just not wanting to go there. I don't think anyone in this room... There might be some of you here today, you debate whether there's a hell in, in heaven. Maybe you're new to Christian faith, or maybe you're still, you're, you're still searching. And you're just like, man, I'm just not sure. Well, obviously, we believe in, in the doctrines of the Bible, and the Bible clearly teaches that there is a literal hell. And I don't think there's anyone in this place that say, you know what, I'd like to sign up for eternal torment. I don't think any of us would, right? But if the only thing you're trying to do is to get out of spending eternity in hell. You can't avoid hell just by not wanting to go there. You have to avoid hell by following the path of salvation. And that's what he's saying. And that path to salvation is revealed in the Old Testament. Moses and the prophets, it's revealed there. He said to them, if, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be persuaded by someone who rises from the dead. Hello? coincidence, there was another dude who lived among them whose name was also Lazarus, right? It was a different guy than the beggar in this parable. Do you remember what happened to the other Lazarus who was in real life? He was raised from the dead. And how did the Pharisees, Sadducees, how did the men, the law people, how did they respond when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? 
How did they respond? They got mad, and you know what they did? They threw him on a cross. That was part of it. They got indignant that he would think he could raise someone from the dead. Threw him on a cross. Listen, what Jesus was saying is, um, in essence, Mr. Pharisees, and since all of you, I'm going to release you from being a Pharisee now, okay? Just be released from that. But if you were a Pharisee, here's what he's saying. It's like, listen, what you need to understand is, I could come back here and do all, I, I could, all these miracles could happen. We can bring uh, the poor beggar Lazarus back to try to talk to your brothers, but they've already heard it and they've rejected it. They've, they've got to make that decision themselves. So, um, so now the question is for you and I today. How do we respond to this today? If you won't listen to the Bible, you won't listen to anything. If, if I'd be listening to this message today, I'd go home, read my Bible, and I'd want to get this figured out. If in your heart you have yet to really settle, is there an eternity? Is there anything beyond death? One of my neighbors, we've lived there for 17 years, died, and we had the funeral this week, and I went and, and so I'm just thinking about eternity, just thinking it's on my mind this week. And um, she, she was a believer, and so I know one day we'll see her again. But if you have yet to settle in your heart, is there really an eternity? Is there really anything after death? Can I just encourage you today? The greatest thing I could tell you right now is this. Study this. Look into this. I'm not even saying so much that you Google it because you're going to get some weird thoughts on the Google. But study and see what the Bible really says about heaven and hell. And I'll tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find the Bible teaches that there is a literal heaven to gain. And there is a hell. God never wanted to send anyone to hell. He, he, didn't, want any, uh, let me, he didn't want anyone to spend uh, eternity in, in a Christless state. And his desire is that all would come to salvation and put faith in him. That's his desire. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But because of our hardness of our hearts... There's times when we make the decision ourselves. God's not making us make that decision. We make it ourselves. We say, so, so for you today to hear the gospel message, to hear the message of what I've shared today is, is, is a lot like Jesus sharing it with the Pharisees. So we have to decide what are we gonna do with this? And I wanna encourage you today. If, you, if, you, if you're like, I'm not buying this. Okay, okay. Then take some time to study scripture and, uh, and just, just at least know what Christianity really says about heaven and hell. My prayer is that really quick, you'll realize what it says is, is it's literal. But there's some of you today, you, you understand this, and you've heard this, and you know this, but you just choose not to follow Christ. Right now, you're just in rebellion. And you need to deal with the sin of your life. You need, you need to deal with that rebellion. You need to give your life to Christ today. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you. You're like, I'm not just asking if you want heaven insurance. You see, it's not just I don't want to go to hell. It's I want to spend eternity in heaven, yes. But I want to accomplish God's perfect plan and desire for me right here, right now on earth as well. And that starts with us yielding our lives to Christ. And right now is the time for you to do that.